we wish to ask yet another blessing from thy word this afternoon. Lord, we need this word more than we need physical food. We say that, dear Father, but many times we do not act that way. We act like the physical things are more important. Dear Father, remind us again this afternoon hour the importance of thy eternal, thy living word. Help us to take in what we need. Dear Father, we know that we are more than flesh and blood, that we're more than just matter, that we are living souls, we have spirits. Dear Father, we, we pray that we would be fed in the inner man this afternoon hour, as we have been this morning. We pray, dear Father, for those that couldn't be here. We pray for those that have many needs, uh, known only to thee, those that are, have obvious needs that we've been praying for for a long time, illness and chronic conditions. We pray for them too, dear Father, and we ask for thy strengthening, thy power. We ask for comfort for those that are grieving, for those that are sad. We ask for encouragement for those that need it, dear Father, and we all need it in some way or another. We ask for wisdom from above. We all need that too. Dear Father, supply what we are needing through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me, if you will, to the Old Testament, to the first book of Samuel, chapter 26. First Samuel 26. like to read the entire chapter. And the Ziphites came unto Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hachilah, which is before Yeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hachilah, which is before Yeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies, and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the captain of his host. And Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruah, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. But Abner and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for 
For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said furthermore, As the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But, I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster, and the cruise of water, and let us go. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster, and they got them away, and no man saw it, nor knew it, neither awaked, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great space being between them. And David cried to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who art thou that criest to the king? And David said to Abner, Art not thou a valiant man? And who is like to thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept thy lord the king? For they came one of the people in to destroy the king thy lord. This thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, ye are worthy to die, because ye have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is, and the cruise of water that was at his bolster. And Saul knew David's voice, and said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Wherefore doth my Lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in mine hand? Now therefore I pray thee, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If the Lord have stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. Then, Saul, then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool, and have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Behold the king's spear, and let one of the young men come over and fetch it. The Lord render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things, and also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. I've read to the end of the chapter. May God bless the reading of his word. We've been reading through 1 Samuel at home at the dinner table. And we came upon this chapter recently. And it got my mind thinking a little bit. I mean, as, as we've been going through the life of David, 
as he's introduced in these pages in uh, maybe about 10, 10 or 11 or 12 chapters before this. I've been thinking about David a little bit too. You know, the pages of Scripture, other than to Jesus Christ, the pages of Scripture contain the most about David. If we were to do, I mean, it's not just a matter of quantity. The whole life story of David is, is laid out in uh, these, these two books in First and Second Samuel. And not only that, we have probably half maybe of the Psalms that are, that are attributed, that are written to him, that are written by him, that are known to be written by him. So we have an insight into what not only he did and what he said, but what he thought, what came out in, in the poetry that the Lord inspired him to write. Why is that? Why is so much of Scripture devoted to this man? Why is Jesus Christ called the son of David? You know, I don't think it's only just for royal genealogy reasons or prophetic reasons that that title is given to Jesus Christ. It's because the same spirit that was in David, that was abundant, that could be seen in David's life, was also not only in Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ is its source, if I could say. Christ ties this up really nicely. We heard this morning uh, from Mark chapter 12, where Jesus Christ posed that question, why does David say, the Lord said unto my Lord, indicating that Christ is more than just the son of David. And right at the end of the Bible, Jesus wraps this up nicely for in case anyone was wondering i was reminded this morning revelations 22 the last chapter verse 16 i jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches i am the root and the offspring of david and the bright and morning star he's the beginning of david and his son this jesus And I think it's in the life of David we see maybe more than any other man outside of Jesus Christ this abundant, pure love for the Lord with his lows, his low lows, and his high highs. There's a lot to learn from him. You think, what an arc of a a person to be taken from tending sheep Days, I'm sure, at a time alone in, in the wilderness, in this rugged wilderness of Judea, feeding these sheep. The eighth son of a large family that his father didn't even think about calling in when, when Samuel came to visit. He was out tending the sheep. And Samuel had to ask, do you have another son here? What an arc from that to go to, to be... Israel's best and most famous king. And then through all of these things, these, these 
accounts that are recorded. And each one, there's something to learn about. Each one, there's, there's some truth to apply to our lives. And so it is with this chapter, too. So what's the context of this chapter? You know, this is the second time something like this has happened. Just a, two chapters earlier, chapter 24, there was a similar thing. The same people in the same country, the Ziphites, wanted to curry favor with Saul, and they sent word back in chapter 23, I think, Yes, in verse 19, chapter 23, the Ziphites just come to Saul and Gibeah, doth not David hide himself with us in the strongholds in, in the same area? And Saul comes out again. This is, as we know, as we well know, after David had been anointed, basically in his, in his family room by Samuel. He had received that sign of kingship. That, that, that anointing by the prophet, that was the critical act to identify him as, as Israel's future king. He had that already. He could have... See, here's the thing. The promise was given. Saul, had, uh, God had promised, had, had signified this through this anointing, but it had not yet come to pass. And this is the crux, I think, of, of, of David and his waiting on the Lord. That promise was in hand, and he waited for it. He held on to that promise, promise without going outside of God's will, without reaching forth and grabbing what he should not have grabbed, without ending Saul's life, without finishing and, 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 and doing what he should not do. And that is the lesson, I think, that's the, the key lesson for us to learn from this as Christians. So the context is that David is fearing for his life. This is, this is a man who was anointed by the Lord, was very active and successful in Israel. He defeated Goliath. He was in the court of the king. He, he was tied to the royal family. He was the, the best friend of the heir presumptive of Jonathan. And Jonathan acknowledges, you're going to be the future king. It's not going to be me. He, he acknowledged that. He, he knew. And there were so many ways that, that David could have been tempted, was tempted probably, but did not to reach out and use his own power, his own ability to get what was coming to him. And he did not. He refused to. So he had been in that position and had gone from that to fearing for his life, to running, to, to hiding, to being with a, a band of 600 men here, hiding in the different areas. And Saul now comes with 3,000 men to this, to find this David and David's aware of it. He has spies. He knows when he's coming. He sees his camp where it is. He sees how he's all laid out there. They all go to sleep that night, and Saul's in the middle of the encampment. All his warriors are around him. His 3,000 are around him. He's got his spear stuck in the ground, maybe as a, a rallying point. You know, if they're attacked, they can all gather. They know that's where the king is by the, his spear there. And David says, let's go down to Saul. 
I don't know if he had this plan all along to do what he did or, or, or what, or whether he, I, it, the scripture doesn't say here. But he asks two men, who's going to go with me? And this is, again, another picture, image of, of the heart of David that, that he doesn't point someone else. He doesn't say, go, you do it. I ordered you. I'm, I'm the future king, and, and you're my followers. You go ahead and, and, and do this errand for me. He goes himself. He puts himself in harm's way. And one of those two men, Abishai, says, I will go, and they go down, sneak into this camp at night. And we learn here later that it was the Lord that he put a, a deep sleep on the whole group of them, all 3,000 of them, as they snuck in. So, you know, no matter how noisy or how quiet they were, how long that whispered conversation between them was, the Lord had put a deep sleep. And they come up to Saul with that spear sticking in the ground. And Abishai says, the Lord's delivered him into your hand. This is the moment, David. This is obvious. If it was, if there was any, the previous incident, remember Saul had gone into a cave at, 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 to probably to relieve himself and all of the, 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 the soldiers, David's warriors were in the cave and the inside of the cave pressed against the wall. And they said to him at that point, David, go get him. That's your point to get him, and, and David cut off a piece of his robe as a sign. That time, this time, I would say it's even, even more perfectly laid out. Everyone's sleeping. Abishai says, I'll do it, just by a matter of moving that spear by a few inches. I'll end Saul. Kind of poetic justice. You think about that very spear was the one that, that Saul probably hurled at David. A couple of times, if I remember, maybe three times, three different times, he had tried to kill David with that very spear, maybe. This would have been poetic justice to end it. Everything lays out. So why did David not take this opportunity? That everything is laid out. My friend, my brother, and my sister, can you think of some instances in your life where everything seems to be laid out. It's all there. It seems to be, I should do this. Your friends may be even saying to you, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand, or God is giving you this, this day. Now therefore, let me smite him, I pray. They all do the dirty work with the spear, even to the earth at once, just one time, and we can make a clean getaway. And David refuses. And why does he refuse? There's a lot to learn from David, as we said. Number one, it was wrong. It was wrong. Destroy him not, says David to Abishai, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Saul was still the king of Israel. He was still king. David around the campfire with his band of men, probably listened to many well-laid-out cases why Saul was no longer the legitimate king of Israel and why they should do, or whatever. I'm sure his friends and those that loved him probably counseled him, you've got to do, you've got to act. This running around for months at a time, this is not God's will for you, David. You've got to act. God rewards those that act. 
No, it didn't change the fundamental moral thing. Saul was still the king, even though he was wrong, even though David, more than any of those men or anyone else probably in Israel, knew exactly how bad he was, how um, morally disqualified he was from being Israel's king. He was still the Lord's anointed. David did not kill Saul because it was wrong, and he did not kill Saul because he trusted God to be God. He says here, verse 10, David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. God will be God, and God will do what God does. He does not need my help to do what is his. How much do we believe that God is who he says he is, that he does what is his prerogative? And how much do we wish to to take to ourselves? I think the obvious application for this, the first and obvious most one is, is the New Testament teaching of non-resistance. What Jesus Christ laid out you think, oh, we're learning the principles and the doctrine of non-resistance from David, probably the most non-resistant man in the Bible, one of the bloodiest. He couldn't build the temple because he was so bloody. That's what the, what the Lord said to him. And yet, these same principles, what is wrong I will not do, and God is God, we find in the New Testament. First Peter 2, one of my favorite texts. First Peter 2, 20, 20 to 23. For what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But, listen to this, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And this we see in David. Committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. If David had reached that out and grabbed that spear and ended Saul's life then, he would not have been committing himself to the Lord. So, we talk about the doctrine of non-resistance, of of, of not returning evil for evil, of not taking up arms, but as you and I both know, that that teaching of Jesus Christ is so much wider than just non-combatant service or or whatever it may be, uh, manifest itself as in wartime. As we are suffered, as we suffer wrong, as we suffer people misconstruing our motives or attacking our character or treating us in a way that we don't deserve or we feel that we don't deserve, that same principle applies. I am not going to revile again. I'm not going to threatened when he suffered he threatened not i'm not going to return like for like 
Because doing so is just, it, it does not equate with trust with God. That's the, that's the pure and the simple. And Jesus showed that most perfectly. I think that's the other thing we can learn from this is the, is the depth of the trust in God. You know, David was really pressed here. I, we read these stories and they're exciting and they're full of action and um, he's, wow, what's David going to do next? But I'm sure this was a grind. This was tough. You can read some of it in the Psalms. You can read some of the anguish of his heart. And you can hear it a little bit in this too where, where he's talking afterwards to, to, to Saul and he says uh, he says if they in verse 19 of chapter 26 he says if they have driven me out this for they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord saying go serve other gods David felt pressed and pushed. You know, Brother Doug just reminded me, today is the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. For a Jew, I mean, for us today too, to worship with other people, I mean, it, that's central. That's, it's, I mean, this is part of... Uh, any Christian that is well-connected to a body of believers, to take him or her from that, like I think some of our brothers were probably experienced when they were put in prison, not have that anymore. It's the same thing as David, to no longer be able to go to the temple to worship with God's people, to enjoy the inheritance, like that Feast of Tabernacles. I don't know as much as I probably should from my reading, but I understand it's a joyous celebration. They make it, you make a tent, you get together with your family, you, you build this a, a, a temporary booth. This is the Feast of Booths is the other ones. You're with your family there for the, these nights on the, on, in Israel. I understand it's on the rooftop. You have this fun time, but it's not just a fun time. You're worshiping the Lord, and you're honoring him. You're fulfilling his word as you do this. And for David to be cut off from that, to basically go serve other gods, go somewhere else, flee out of Israel, this was how David was being pushed. And, you know, the next chapter, he actually kind of, I think he succumbs a little bit to that. He goes to the Philistines. He, uh, he, David says in his heart, shall, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. And that's when he goes off to the Philistines and gets in a situation which is sticky. He starts lying. And uh, I think if the Lord is very merciful and gracious and not preventing him from, from getting in a worse situation. So, not only is he in a difficult situation physically, but spiritually, David was in a difficult situation, and yet he did not reach out his hand and go beyond what God had said, what was right, what was true, and what equated with trust in the Lord. I wonder if we, when we are attacked and assailed by those that would push us or persecute us or push us outside of God's, would want to push us outside of God's will, if we could have the same humility that David has as he addresses Saul here. And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O King. And then he, he proceeds to give him the benefit of the doubt. He says, if the Lord has stirred you up, basically, I think, if I have done something wrong, 
let's an offering, may an offering will atone for this. Well, but if it's other people that have stirred you up when all along David knew and Saul knew that it was Saul himself and his, his evil heart, his corrupted heart in turning away from the Lord, that a heart consumed with jealousy and, and bitterness that was causing him to go on this wild goose chase. And yet David gives him the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't accuse him, doesn't say you are. He, he gives him the chance and the opportunity to repent. So my friend outside of Christ, what is the application in this passage for you? I don't think you can count on God's deliverance outside of Jesus Christ without trusting him. I don't think you can have the, that certainty of trust that, that David did if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. And I'd warn you, furthermore, don't follow Saul's example. Because we have two prime examples here in this chapter and in chapter 24 of false repentance, of, of something that is skin deep as surface. You know, back in, in chapter 24, it seems like Saul was actually after David comes out of the cave with a piece of Saul's robe and, and says, you know, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Saul has some, some genuine emotion here. Verse 16 to 24, that Saul said, is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. There was an emotional response there the first time, but we see that wasn't a real repentance. It was not a lasting. Two chapters later, Saul is, is back on the, the prowl for David. So there can be a, a surface level sort of emotional response. And, and I think by the time we get to this point, you can be hardened. And because I think Saul's response at this point, it's almost to me as I read it, it's kind of flat. He just, I know I'm in the wrong and you're going to succeed me almost a bitterness, a realization. He says, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. He knows it, but I don't think he's going to do anything about it because after this, they never see each other again, and he goes to his death shortly after that. So that's a warning to you, my friend outside of Christ, that there is a false, a lip service something that does not penetrate the exact opposite of David. If you want to see what true repentance is, what, what real brokenness over sin is, read Psalm 51. Read the, 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 the heart of a, of a man who loved the Lord and was broken by his sin and just realized, oh, how much he had messed up. Read that. Rather than, than the words of this Saul who said the right thing but his... Life did not change one bit. May we learn from the life of David what we need to learn. There are many, as I said, there are many lows. There are, there are some low lows, but there are some exquisite highs. And he is an inspiration. And, and, and the communion, we have that sense of communion, that closeness with the Lord. Um, that is so inspiring. I, I pray that each one would take that to heart this week, would not reach out and grab beyond what, what God says, not do, not seek for you to deliver yourself, but as he says here, let him, as David says of, of, of the Lord in verse 24, let him deliver me out of all tribulation.
David said to Saul, that the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. I've heard that the way they used to hunt partridges was these birds um, didn't fly very far, I guess, I don't know, but they would basically scare them up and they'd fly and flutter up and then land somewhere. And you just kept doing that until eventually the bird drops from exhaustion. Just scare them up. And I can kind of hear in my mind's ear that the whistle of their wings or whatever it is as they flutter up in alarm, fly a bit, and then I don't know if you got a horse or something or you just run after them and chase them again until they drop of exhaustion. I don't know if that's true. Never done it myself. But that's probably what David felt like. Saul coming out again and again to the wilderness to scare him up, to send him running, as it were, for his life. And he thought, how long is this going to go on? He was anointed. He was, the, he was the Lord's anointed, the next king of Israel. And here he is running around in the desert like a scared partridge. What do we do, brother and sister? We are the Lord's anointed. We have the Holy Spirit. There is a crown awaiting us. But it matters here and now whether we're going to reach out our hand and take what the world has to offer, it's the worldly gain, and so disqualify ourselves from the heavenly crown, or whether we're going to wait with patience on the Lord to deliver us so that one day we shall be able to be welcomed as royalty into his presence. We may feel like those harried partridges too, but at those moments we need to be like David and refresh ourselves in the Lord and I'd like to just close by reading Psalm 54, which is prefaced with this. To the chief musician on Niganoth, Mashil, a psalm of David, when the Ziphims came and said to Saul, doth not David hide himself with us? Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is mine helper, and the Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. May the Lord bless us. That will conclude the service.